the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Listen to this. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, and a good morning to you. Not just right some of the time, not just right most of the time, but always right radio on AM 1420. The answer, and yes. That is a double entendre. You may choose to listen to that word any way you see fit. Uh, welcome. Appreciate you being with us on this Wednesday. It's the 23rd morning of the eighth month, year of our Lord, 2023. Debate time. Now the official campaign season gets underway, as uh, we will have the first GOP debate tonight. Uh, looking forward to seeing this. I wish I was going to be able to see Donald Trump there. Unfortunately, he has decided to take a soft way out of this. People think that uh, President Trump has nothing to debate. He's got a record. Yeah, he does. He does have a record. There's no question about that. He's got a great record for three three years plus of his presidency. The last one was a little bit more problematic, but there are questions that also, <coughs> excuse me, deserve to be answered by President Trump about things that he might do different a second time around. And I think that we deserve an answer to some of those questions. He needed to be there tonight. He's not going to be there tonight. In fact, he's going to try to steal some of the thunder from... Uh, 
uh, from the debate by going on with uh, Tucker Carlson uh, on Twitter, on Tucker's Twitter. Tucker loves that, by the way. Tucker wants to stick it to Fox, and I don't blame him one bit. I would, too. I would absolutely do that. If I could pull Donald Trump in to do an interview with me, even if I didn't have a company to stick it to that just fired me like uh, like Tucker does with Fox, if I could get Donald Trump on live radio with me tonight during the uh, debate, I would do it, too. I don't blame Tucker, uh, but I do disagree with President, President Trump's decision not to be there. I'll get into that a little bit more as the program goes on. I really think he needs to answer some questions, some important questions about COVID, especially with the shots being pushed again now as we approach the fall and mask mandates already restarting in certain spaces, in some colleges and in Hollywood, believe it or not. I'll I'll explain all of that. But with all of that going on, uh, the COVID issue, the way it was handled, the Operation Warp Speed, lockdowns, uh, deferring to people like Fauci, these are questions President Trump should have been able to answer on the stage tonight. This is what I would do differently. Here's what I learned the first time around. He did not uh, want to do that. That's a problem. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but that's not the lead story of the day. The lead story of the day is going to be absolutely the uh, the new um, reliance slash compliance of shots and uh, and mask mandates because they're on their way back. And we're going to talk about this in some depth in hour number one. Uh, coming up on the rest of the program, we have some terrific guests. Uh, we're going to be talking at 1010 with Chadwick Moore. He, by the way, has a biography of Tucker Carlson out, ironically, probably. But uh, we're going to talk to him about the debate tonight, get a little preview of what he thinks is going to happen there. At 1035, Max Miller is going to join us. He is the congressman, of course, who is, uh, I think he's been doing a solid job as uh, a congressman representing District 7. I think he's been right on all of his policy decisions, all of his votes, things we've talked about already. But he's also going to answer the questions about the religious liberty. And uh, the well, not allegations. He said it, and he's apologized for it, calling uh, Christian gospel uh, preaching uh, bigoted. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that. Yesterday, we talked with Lizzie Marbach, uh, the Ohio Right to Life Communications Director, uh, former Communications Director now that he got into a spat with. So we're going to put all of that to bed with Max Miller at ten thirty-five, and then of course Jack Windsor, our buddy from the Ohio Press Network, will be joining us at eleven ten, and I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. Of course, before those conversations, and in between those conversations, and after those conversations, is our conversation time. That's 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine. Now, let's start with our pledge, Patriots. Go ahead and stand up. Face a flag if you've got one. If you don't, let's work on that for next time. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you believe in stealing the freedom of American people, 330 million of them, by forcing them to take untested toxins into their bloodstream, the way you did three years ago when this whole thing started, and continue to push today. If you believe in taking away their freedoms, telling them they can't go to school, can't go to mass, can't go to gatherings, funerals, parties, to visit sick relatives, that they should be locked in place, that they should be forced to strap a piece of paper to their face in a symbolic gesture of submission to the will of the state because there is no medical benefit whatsoever to doing so if you believe in any of that crap that we survived during covid and they are now trying to bring back well it's clear that you don't believe in liberty nor that flag that represents it 
So instead of standing and pledging your allegiance to it, go ahead and take a knee over there next to that Marxist quarterback and that blue-haired soccer player. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So let's uh, let's dive into this. What's going on here? What's the latest? The latest is, and I told you this just in passing yesterday, we didn't really do this story very much, but uh, the Biden administration is already pushing and promoting. So far, it's just pushing and promoting. So far, it's not mandating or threatening. But the Biden administration is pushing and promoting a new booster. A new booster made by the typical RNA uh, providing big pharmaceutical companies that made billions upon billions of dollars for these mandated shots in what I can only believe to be a, a deal made with the devil and with the government. Uh, they've got new ones out for the new Eris and Fornax subvariants. That's what they're calling this. We will be encouraging all Americans to get those boosters in addition to flu shots and RSV shots, the uh, Biden official said, referring to respiratory syn- uh, syncytial virus, if I'm saying that correctly. The fresh push for Americans to line up for booster shots follows the revelation in January that health officials want to make a coronavirus booster vaccination an annual event in America, renewing the call first made by Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden has been stabbed so many times he looks like a freaking pincushion. He's been stabbed a whole bunch of times with a whole bunch of stuff, he says, and then he still got COVID a couple of times. Wait, what? That's because it doesn't work. Now, you can also choose to believe and I may, that he put the show on, the you know Kabuki theater of getting jabbed on, on camera a couple of different times, which he did, and that maybe those were just sugar water, that there was nothing of, uh, that would be dangerous inside those vials because the man is obviously infirm. Uh, he is old. He is falling apart. He simply cannot function. And the idea that something, some kind of adverse event, which may have taken him, taken him out, uh, that they would have risked that in order to put his uh, put his arm up there for the rest of the world to see to inspire them, the odds are pretty long against that. But nonetheless, the the worst part about that is is that he claims he was vaccinated all of those times with round one, with round two, with booster, with booster two. Uh, he claims he was, and then still got COVID, which means obviously doesn't work. We've said this many, many times. But Biden, last year, told Americans, just do it every year. Quote, if you're fully vaccinated, get one more COVID shot. Once a year, that's it, he said. During a speech on his uh, imitation White House video set, he said, come on. Oh, he has five. I beg your pardon. He has five now. This story says the president got his fifth coronavirus shot live on camera, even though he has contracted and recovered from the virus the July before. Raise your hand if you believe that. Because one thing that doctors who are actually not affiliated with the big pharmaceutical companies and thus um, encouraged, perhaps, to say things that would be in favor of getting shots... But the other doctors who know the reality of what RNA uh, messenger RNA shots do, uh, it is far more dangerous for people to take those shots after they have already recovered from COVID 
and their immune systems are building antibodies to prevent such things again. The COVID shots are very dangerous for them. But he doesn't care. If you're fully vaccinated, he said, get one more COVID shot once a year. That's it. Which raises the question, are you any more likely to comply now than you were then? If you already got them then, but have since seen some of the statistics and some of the realities of the adverse events of people who took those poison darts, are you more likely to refrain this time? Or are you feeling, I'm okay. I mean, yeah, we don't have any five or ten year studies on the after effects, but I'm, you know, three years in or two and a half years in or whatever, and I'm okay now. So, yeah, I'll take another one. Are you willing to roll that dice again? You pretty sure you're not going to crap out? The Kaiser Foundation is a pro vaccine organization, the Kaiser Family Foundation. Well, they've got a. They've got a polling system aimed at showing satisfaction and benefit of mass vaccination, among other family issues. It's a very biased polling system that, again, is aimed at showing, look how great things are when you get mass vaccinations. Well, they conducted a poll um, May 23rd through June 12th. This was just promoted and publicized by Dr. Peter McCullough one of the doctors that the left tried to cancel for telling the truth about the dangers of these these darts. Dr. McCullough shared the information of the May 23rd through June 12th poll revealing some shocking new data that a substantial uh, minority of Americans believe that the COVID-19 vaccines have caused great harm. The Kaiser Family Foundation, of course, stands by these, because they do run biased polls. The COVID-19 vaccines have caused thousands of sudden deaths in otherwise healthy people. How many people in the survey have heard it or read it? 65%. How many of them think it's true? Definitely or probably 34%. How many uh, uh, have done both? 29%. Uh, The COVID-19 vaccines have proven to cause infertility. 52% said they have heard such things or read such things. Only 27% believe it. It's a very substantial minority, as he points out. Uh, Ivermectin is an effective treatment for COVID-19. 48% have heard it. 31% believe it. More people have died from the COVID-19 vaccines than have died from the COVID-19 virus. 41% have heard it. 29%. Uh, believe it. And it goes on with a few more of similar results like this. Dr. McCullough summarizing. As you can see, it is roughly a third of Americans that are awake and understand the COVID-19 vaccines have failed, that they have caused great harm, that they pose a giant safety risk to Americans. It's also interesting to note that a quarter of the respondents, around 25%, have been awakened to the link between childhood hypervaccination and the autism spectrum disorder. I wonder, writes Peter, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, what the actual sentiment is on vaccines. If Kaiser had asked the questions in a more unbiased manner, it did not load up their survey with charged words such as false and misinformation. So what does all that mean? Well, it means a few things. Number one, it means that Big Pharma uh, has, still has a stranglehold on left-wing politicians. still have They still have a stranglehold on the Biden administration, no question about that. 
And they still have a stranglehold on the social media companies that continue to decry as misinformation or disinformation any information about the reality of adverse events in people who have taken those jabs, even as they are now promoting new uh, a new round of jabs. The reality is that only one-third of Americans are ready to fight for their liberty to not be forced to take an unproven or, if anything now, a proven-to-do-harm medication. One-third of adults believe COVID-19 vaccines caused sudden deaths in thousands of people. Two-thirds of the people are walking around blind without a cane except for they're being guided by the elbow by the federal government, by the Biden administration, by pharma, uh, by uh, uh, Pfizer, by Moderna, by Johnson & Johnson, big pharmaceutical companies that had stand to make billions more with another round of mandated uh, shots. So my question to you is, are you in the one-third? Or are you in the two-thirds? Where do you find yourself? Do you think that this the what this would be the sixth round of boosters? This one is supposedly uh, going to be a little bit more targeted toward the new sub variants. Do you think they're any better at this now than they were two and a half years ago? Can't help but wonder what people think when they continue to see otherwise ordinary, extraordinarily healthy people, young athletes on basketball courts like LeBron James' son on soccer fields, on football fields, uh, in, in gyms and weight rooms, on tracks, seeing them collapse with heart conditions, heart attacks, some of them lethal. These are healthy, athletic people in the prime of their lives. What do they tell you to do in order to stay healthy? Good heart health involves what? Being in shape, not being overweight, having good cardio, All of the things that young athletes do, and yet their hearts are stopping or going into arrhythmia. They're having sudden heart attacks and some of them sudden deaths by extraordinary numbers. And we're supposed to believe it's just coincidental that this happened in the time of COVID jabs. I'm not going to believe that that's coincidental. I am going to believe the reality of this. And I want to find out from you, especially mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, you going to push your kids into a doctor's office or into a pharmacy to take one of these jabs? School's here. Some schools are requiring it now. Some of them are also requiring masks to come back. That's at the higher education level. What are you going to do this time around? Did you learn anything from the last time? Maybe you feel justified because you got a shot last time, or two or three or four, and you're still alive and you feel okay. Maybe you're going to tell me that, uh, no, you, you believe in this and you support this. I want to open the dialogue. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Let's talk after the break. Okay, 933. Appreciate you being with us. We'll open up the fall while they're open. Uh, people are on hold. Stay there. I'll come right to you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let me just give you part B of the, uh, of the, you know, the, the plan now, uh, which many would call the pandemic. Pandemic part two. Uh, you know, I call it poison darts too. Uh, still safe and effective coming this fall to a theater near you. The theater, of course, being your life. 
Uh, Poison Darts 2, still safe and effective. That's still their storyline, despite just extraordinary amounts of evidence pointing uh, in a different direction. But uh, the darts are just part one. Part two are those ridiculous fear masks that they try to make you, force you to strap on your face when you go into certain spaces, uh, which they did for about two years. Remember, remember two weeks to flatten the spread, or flatten the spread, flatten the curve, rather, uh, and to slow the spread? Yeah, it became about two years. Anyway, quoting now from um, OutKick, if you thought the masks were gone, think again. It's been nearly three and a half years since the flip-flop based on nothing. When the experts originally told you, remember Fauci said, no, you don't need to wear masks. What do you mean? Why would you wear surgical masks? No. Then he said, yeah, you, you should wear one. In fact, maybe wear two. Double them up. No reason whatsoever for the flip-flop, but they uh, pushed these masks on everybody and tried to staple them to their faces so they couldn't get them off. Uh, And for a subset of people, they committed to an ideology that demands unblinking compliance with politically aligned authority. And it uh, fundamentally and permanently changed their lives, and it also changed their views. Masks instantly became an opportunity not to prevent the spread of infection, but to signal your allegiance, your subservience to the correct set of views, and to maintain an unearned, inflated sense of self-importance, otherwise known as virtue signaling. The mask made you appear as though you care about other people, and you are concerned enough about your own life to make sure that you're protecting yourself. These people walked around with those fear masks on their face, thinking that it make them look, made them look smarter than everybody else, as they did indeed scowl. Uh, and 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 uh, and condemn and criticize those who did not have masks. Karens all over the place screaming at them. Put on your mask! How dare you put me and my family and my grandparents in jeopardy by not wearing your mask? Is it that hard to cover your face? That's the crap that they did. Masks became a symbol, a symbol of whether or not you were going to be free, or whether or not you were going to be a sheep and essentially a slave to the state. At any rate, Deadline Hollywood reported on Monday that Lionsgate, a major motion picture studio based in Los Angeles, is now requiring employees in their offices to wear the masks masks again. Now, August 2023, the studio is requiring all employees on the third and fifth floors of the building to wear masks again in response to several employees testing positive for the new variant of COVID. Number one, who the criminy hell is still having their their uh, COVID test done if they get sick? I've got a sniffle. Rather than taking a Sudafed, I'm going to go have somebody jam a, a, a giant uh, Q-tip up to my brain to see if I have COVID, a new version, or the old one. For Christ, why? Are you kidding? But because some of them did and tested positive for it, the people on those floors, now mind you, I love the fact that this airborne variant or subvariant of the virus that caused all of this trouble is is contained to just the two floors, you see, because the air on one floor does not travel up to the air on other floors. Well, we were told it didn't uh, travel past six feet, right? Right? Keep six feet away. And, oh, those little COVID germs are coming out of somebody else's nose. And and here they come, here they come, here they come. Four feet, five feet, six feet. They stop right there at six feet. They don't get you if you're six feet away. 
Apparently, they won't get you on the first floor or the second floor or the fourth floor, but the third and fifth, you got problems. It's a tacit acknowledgement that the cloth masks are useless when they only limit them to certain spaces. It is virtue signaling. We put this story to bed, by the way, about a year and a half ago, when when... What did not exist at the time of the ridiculous mask mandates did happen, which is very uh, thorough, uh, broad, controlled studies were done of the effectiveness of surgical masks or any other sort of cloth masks or even N95 masks um, were tested against people uh, not wearing anything. And come to find out, they did nothing. Nothing. They didn't help at all. It was only to make people psychologically more comfortable that they're protected. And and I'll, I'll dovetail off of that to say the other psychological part, of course, is just to make people comply. What can we force the people to do? Because if we can force 30, 330 million people to strap diapers to their faces every time they leave their house, then we can force them to do anything we want them to do. That was a big part of this. Then the second part of this particular uh, uh, revitalization, if you will, of the mask mandates comes from um, the uh, the uh, educational world, a school. It's Morris Brown College, privately a private historically black liberal arts school in Atlanta, announced on Sunday that a mask mandate would be implemented as a precautionary measure even though the school's administration had not reported any positive cases among its students. You don't have any diseases? We don't care. Put it on. Several students at the Atlanta University Center, which includes HBCU schools, including Morris Brown College, tested positive for a virus, and some students were there and returned to the city after summer break. So, quote, we prioritize your safety and seek your cooperation in preventing another pandemic. How the living hell can they make statements like that, college president Kevin James? When everybody wore those stupid freaking looking things, and it didn't stop a pandemic, because it doesn't work. Thank you for being proactive and safeguarding our community. You're safeguarding nothing. All you are doing is causing more damage. Trapping people's spittle and and germs and snot and everything else that happens inside of those masks, making them sicker, not allowing them to breathe free air and oxygen. I mean, all not to mention, of course, because what it did to, to younger kids in younger schools, making them antisocial, unable to see smiles from teachers or other students to be able to gauge and interact what people other people are thinking and so forth. So many ridiculous reasons to not ever have made those things mandated. And now they want to come back again? No. I will not comply. For me and for mine, I will not comply. Anywhere. Including in hospital settings. The one place where I did force myself to put one of those ridiculous things on is when I had hospital and doctor visits and they wouldn't treat me or, in that case, my father-in-law or others. I couldn't be there to help and support. They wouldn't They wouldn't even give treatment if you didn't have it. Um, but this time around, I'll find another way. I will not comply. 
Neither will my family. No darts. No masks. No more psyops. No more psychological operations aimed at forcing us into compliance for something that has no basis in science. It's coming. It's coming. How are you going to handle it? 216-901-0945. Marty, thank you for waiting. I appreciate that. You're in Kent, and now you're on oh. the M1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hello. Let me get you off of the speaker so I can not have echoes down. <clears throat> okay. That. Thank you. Um, 53-year-old sister, eight years younger than I, um, was found dead in her bed, had looked like she was sleeping. Um... I contacted the medical examiner, and I spoke to him personally. I still, I'm still here looking at his information. I still have that information from two years ago. Cardiac sarcoidosis. For those of you who are not in the medical field, I'm a retired nurse, so I understood exactly what he was talking about. Um, and I've got probably 30 years in the medical field, so... Um, Yes, I am pissed. Um. Well, well, if I may, Marty, um, g- give me the backstory to that before you go for, for, forward. You told me she was found dead. She looked like she was sleeping. She had this yep. uh, this cardiac, uh, w- whatever word you just used. Uh, Sarcoid, sarcoidosis, a fancy word for chronic heart okay. disease. I was going to ask you to put that in layman's terms. You did. So I'm assuming you're telling me this because she received vaccinations or the poison shots? as I like to call them? They would not confirm one way or the other. So she had been cleared by her physician and was training for a biathlon. She was a constant participant in biathlons and marathons and that. So she was always running. Super healthy. Super healthy. Very aware um, of her health. Very fit. Very trim. Um, no, no real health issues, you know, to speak of the, uh, night before she was found, her and her daughter had pizza and, um, her daughter had gone to work around 10 o'clock. My sister went to bed around midnight. They suspect that she passed at around 1 AM. And when her daughter came home, she found that the dog had not been let out. And that's when she found her. So I couldn't get much information from the family because they, um, they're on the other side of things, let's say. Um, so I called the medical examiner myself, and I spoke to him at length um, and was like, okay, are you looking into if the vaccine had caused this or anything like that? Oh, well, we're just a small town out in Montana, mind you, Missoula, Montana. We're just a small medical office, you know, medical examiner's coroner's office. We don't have a whole lot of people. We cover four different counties, so we really don't have the manpower to be looking into things like that. I go, don't you think that would be important to determine what the cause was? If she was shot with a gun, you would be looking at ballistics, wouldn't you? Right. Crickets. Crickets. So what did you do? Yeah. What can you do? It's like, uh, yeah, done, over, you know, that's it. So I haven't been vaccinated. I won't be vaccinated. I've had COVID three different times. I'm, I'm fine. I recovered from it. Hydroxychloroquine, you know, the the, the horse pills. 
Um, yeah. Well, those were, I, um, ivermectin were the horse pills, as they like to demean them. Oh, oh, oh yes, yeah, yes, yes you are correct. Yes. Right. Um, so, yes. so that's that's been the story that's been written. By the way, my my uh, uh, sympathy for you and your loss um, with your sister. Um, but that's been a very common refrain. We have heard this over and over again. Medical examiners, coroners will not give mm-hmm. uh, actual uh, causes of death in these things. Um, and again, we have mm-hmm. had numerous cases. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone has told of many of them, uh, of individuals that have indeed died in car crashes or motorcycle accidents. And uh, then when they were on the slab, they swabbed their nose, said, hey, they have COVID, and they were coded as COVID deaths. But they will not do anything of the of the sort when it comes to trying to find out if the spike proteins that are contained in these mRNA shots uh, contributed to heart uh, conditions that have caused COVID or caused these deaths. They refuse to do that because this is not in their best interest. Not in the best interest of big pharma, which is in bed with uh, uh, the big medicine, quite frankly, and so many of these doctors and hospitals that are given massive, massive amounts of subsidies for uh, the number of, uh, of COVID cases that they treat. Uh, and that the COVID shots that they give, they all get huge money for that. So they're not going to say, yeah, this one might have been caused by the COVID shot rather than the COVID virus. It's in their best interest to keep you quiet and to keep you wondering. And, and sorry about what happened to your loved one if they even give you that much. Yeah, exactly. Um, I see a physical therapist on somewhat of a regular basis for a chronic back issue. And in our conversation, she's on the right side, we'll say. And in our conversation of her clientele, over half of them have reported to her a similar occurrence of a family, friend, or someone that they knew. Um, And I have a number of friends that I have heard from that they've had family members. I've had neighbors tell me that they've had relatives just drop dead after getting the vaccine. Within hours of getting the vaccine, was dead. Within days, uh, a day, dead. Wow. Well, yeah. uh, I've seen I've seen and heard enough of those things uh, to know that you're you're not exaggerating it. Uh, a lot of a lot of people have reported these kind. And thank you for the call, Marty. God bless you and your family. Uh, and uh, and I'm and I'm glad to hear you know people tell the truth about what happened to them and their families, if for no other reason other than the outrage that I share in in the way you know you were treated and you know the ex- answers you were looking for that were not given. In addition to that, though, it's hopefully a cautionary tale to convince more and more people do not become a sheep this time around. Do not allow them to push you, bully you, force you, threaten you, intimidate you into taking these things, to taking these shots, nor wearing the masks for that matter. So, Marty, thank you. Uh, Diane in West Park is next. Hi, Diane. Go right ahead. Morning, Bob. Thank you. Certainly. Um, I, I like your poison darts, too. I started calling it uh, the Battle of Armageddon, and now that you mentioned <laughs> it, it's good. Maskageddon. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to continue to fight, and I'll never, I'll be, I am a never vaxxer, and I'm a rarely masker, and I say that because where I live, uh, we are under um, federal requirements in a HUD building to, you know, follow the rules, or it's a violation of your lease. But I'll do what I can to uh, be a rarely as much as I can. You know, Bob, the the um, the scary thing about what's happening and why it with this coming up again, this election coming. You know, this is now in the state's control. Just like Dewine stopped the election back in what was it, 2020, when he said, "No, we're not going to have elections." 
tomorrow uh, tomorrow's election day, but we're canceling it. Yeah. All we need is it. a couple of states. All we need is a couple of those important states to be under mandate. And uh, by government order, we're not going to have an election. Well, that's the other reason, and, and, so and I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up uh, because that's the other reason. I was uh, was I've I've got a chart that I actually shared with people on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, may, well, maybe it was yesterday actually. And thank you for the call, uh, Diane. I appreciate it very much, and uh, thanks for telling your story. I did not know, by the way, that in HUD buildings, they could make sure mandate that you wear them in your building, or or it's a violation of your lease. I would like to see, not that I want to volunteer anybody for the trial of this but i would like to see that go to court to find out if that is something that can be done if that is the sort of thing that can be mandated and required of people living freely in the uh in the united states whether you're in a subsidized housing or not i don't care that's that's crazy uh but i had a chart um that showed uh you know one of the perhaps leading drivers for the push for new shots and a new the discovery of a new subvariant and the push for annual shots uh, by Biden and others, and it was um, it was Pfizer's profit uh, profit uh, projections, and it showed where their profits were during the height of the pandemic, and it showed that downward. It was a bar graph and, uh, and not a bar graph, a line graph, and then it showed that downward uh, you know uh, slope uh, of profits, and you know it just it, it cannot. Help, but make you wonder if this is all about okay. We got to get, we got to, we got to find a way to get the profits back up. We got shareholders to answer to. We got to drive as many profits as possible. Let's start a new fear. Let's get another campaign going. There's a new sub variant. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to get us all. Let's go get those shots. Go get that booster for the fair. And this one's updated, by the way, still safe and effective, but updated for the conditions of the new variant. And and it's just all about uh, it's all about profit for Pfizer would be the reason they're pushing this, but. Part two of that, or the other reason, is what she just said, Diane just said. There's an election coming. I don't know. It's a little early to say that the goal is to shut down the 2024 elections in person, the way they did in 2020, and force people to rely on drop boxes and 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 mail-in voting and all of the other things that they used to scam and steal the 2020 election. But we are in debate time right now. Uh, we're, you know, what, five, six months, I guess, from uh, the first primaries. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you have to, if you're going to set the table, you got to set it early enough that people believe and ramp up the fear and the intimidation a little bit in September and a little bit more in October. Now we're in full-on flu season. Boy, when the flu combines with the COVID, it's just deadly for people. We better get those jabs. Oh, my gosh, the case count. Now we're going to have to have daily updates again from Mike DeWine on TV with the new version of Amy Acton, the walking, talking lab coat. Uh, you know, and, and here we go again to the point where, you know, we're not sure if we're going to be able to hold that primary. We've seen this movie before and we know how it ends, but now it's the sequel poison darts Two, still safe and effective. That's what they'll call it. The safe and effective part. Anyway, nine we'll be right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness.
This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Eight minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, and we continue into hour number two now. It's a Wednesday, the 23rd morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. It's debate day. How about it? Finally, we've all been looking forward to this, of course. We would be looking forward to it a lot more if the former president of the United States and the runaway leader in the polling were to be there to talk to some of those challengers who would like to take a bite out of that lead. President Trump is skipping this tonight. In fact, he's not going to be invisible, though. He has decided rather than to sit back and watch it, he's going to be doing an interview with Tucker. On Twitter, Tucker Carlson, of course, loves the idea of sticking a finger in the eye of Fox, which is hosting the debate. I don't blame him one bit. I would do the same exact thing in his shoes. Uh, President Trump certainly likes the idea of sucking all of the oxygen out of the, uh, I don't know, atmosphere, I guess, since they're not going to be in the same room, but people are going to watch him uh, as opposed to the debate. Joining us now to break all of that down and analyze it is Chadwick Moore, the author of a new biography on Tucker Carlson called Tucker. Chadwick is a columnist and a contributing editor at The Spectator and a number of other media outlets. Uh, Chadwick, good to have you on the program. How are you? Hey, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. So what do you think of, uh, what do you think of Tucker's move here? <laughs> well, uh, Fox uh, Brass is uh, incandescent over what's happening. They're really, really, really angry. This is what sources inside Fox are telling me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's not just maybe Tucker poking the bear, which he has, loves to do and has his entire <laughs> life and that kind of personality. But it's also President Trump. You know, President Trump was banned from Fox, from many Fox opinion shows, by Fox executives who simply said that, you know, the bosses don't like him. Let's not have him on anymore. Uh, and then, you know, they, the Fox leadership has never liked President Trump. They didn't support him in 2016. They uh, fired Laura Trump as a contributor after Trump announced his, he was running again. And, uh, you know, then they, they ran over to Bedminster, the executives did, to beg him to come on their debate. Uh, for what reason? Either because they, they want to help their ratings or because they want those other candidates to just spend the entire two hours taking pot shots at him, which is exactly what would have happened had he appeared. So, you know, and the, uh, furthermore, uh, is Trump not only not doing the debate and hosting a competing um, interview with Tucker Carlson, but he's also going to be arraigned tomorrow in Georgia, which is going to suck all the media coverage, all the post-debate media coverage away from Fox and um, everyone's going to be watching Georgia. Yeah, that's a great point, too. Uh, uh, we're talking to Chadwick Moore. He is the author. He's uh, many things, but including the author of a new book called Tucker, uh, a biography of Tucker Carlson, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But um, to your point, you know, I get it, and I certainly would never defend Fox management <clears throat> because Fox management, of course, decided to fire Tucker amid, among many other uh, ridiculous moves. But but President Trump still finds his way to Hannity. He still finds his way to the uh, morning team. Uh, you know, he's on on a, on a fairly regular basis, sometimes with Laura Ingram, too. So he's still tight with the hosts, and they still give him time, and they still give him, uh, you know, the attention that he wants and needs as a candidate, and even during the, you know, non-candidate period, uh, you know, before this cycle began. So... I'm kind of curious, Does he is he willing to hold his grudges that he has against management, against his uh, friends who are the uh, who are the hosts as well? Uh, you know, you're right. I mean, he, he certainly has good relationships with many hosts, but I think that maybe what he's, he's seeing is that, uh, and, and what I think Tucker Carlson is certainly the face and figurehead of, is that this election cycle, this primary cycle at least, is kind of the first ever in which mainstream media is taking a backseat to independent media. 
independent media is breaking all the stories, getting the news. Ron DeSantis announced his campaign on Twitter to the chagrin also of Fox. Uh, and then also Vivek Ramaswamy and um, Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. both announced their candidacies on Tucker Carlson's Fox show. Uh, so since Tucker has been excommunicated from mainstream media, he's breaking all sorts of news on Twitter that, uh, that media is having to play catch up to. So maybe Trump is also just seeing this wave that he's going to take it directly to the people. He's going to bypass corporate media. Uh, and I think you know, that's, it makes it a very exciting time to be alive. You know that's a great point. Um, I do. I do, we'll talk more about Tucker in his in his because uh, I want to find out about the legality of his Twitter Spaces situation that he's doing right now because Fox immediately issued a cease and desist when he started doing that because of his non compete. We'll get your thoughts on that in a moment. But back to President Trump, you talked about. <clears throat> being on the debate stage and having all of the other candidates take pot shots at him. But this, isn't that kind of politics, especially when it comes to one far and away leader in a debate field, or excuse me, in a primary field? Isn't it kind of the point is for the uh, challengers to try to uh, uh, raise their own numbers while hurting those of the leader? That's kind of how we make our decisions on who we vote for, right? Yeah, that, that's definitely true. I think he's also maybe looking at it as the moderators might not also be fair to him. But one thing, you know, to actually the candidates, one reason the candidates ought to be happy is because with Trump not there, they won't be required to just spend the whole time trying to take him out and lower his numbers to elevate their own. They can actually sell their vision to directly to the voters, whoever ends up watching that show. So, you know, while Fox might be a loser in this, uh, I don't think Trump's a loser. All the other candidates are, I would think, to be winners in this if they believe that their message is strong enough and not just an anti-Trump message. Uh, so they should be thankful for that uh, if, if they can get any oxygen out of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it'd be great for Trump to debate. He, he ought to debate. I think it's good sportsmanship, and it's also very entertaining to watch him debate. Um, but if he feels that this network isn't going to be fair to him or this uh, they treated him badly before, then, you know, maybe they'll have to set up another debate somewhere. Uh, you know, that's a great point. We're talking to Chadwick Moore. That is a great point. I did see, and I can't remember which outlet I saw it yesterday when I crossed my screen, that Trump has essentially confirmed he will not appear at any primary debates. He will save debating for uh, a general election if he is indeed the nominee. And then I saw Ari Fleischer yesterday saying, you know, this gives a lot of cover to Joe Biden if he says, I'm not going to debate you in the general election. Thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's going to be really sticky, right? Because, look, look, they're starting to creep COVID back in, right? So if Of they course, I spent the whole hour, again, first hour of my show on that today, on what they're doing. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> so they can lock Joe back in the basement. He won't have to debate uh, uh, Trump. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Trump team was, you know, uh, bashing Joe Biden for not appearing and debating the last time. And those people won't debate. So, yeah, that is not going to be great for them. I agree on that. What do you expect in the debate tonight, then, Chadwick? Um, do you expect anybody to shine? Do you expect the? Uh, uh, do you th- expect they'll all turn their attention to taking a bite out of DeSantis since he's second? Ramaswamy is climbing up very quickly on that number. Uh, they're going to be one and two on the stage tonight. Do you think they all focus their attention on DeSantis, or do you think that even in his absence, they're going to talk about Donald Trump? Uh, that's interesting, um, I, and, I, and I'm not sure. I think that they, they'll be going to be forced to talk about Donald Trump, and even in his absence. I think, you know, Ramaswamy we know Christy has, has, oh, oh, Christy has nothing else to talk about. So that's, you know, <laughs> we, we can anticipate that for sure. <laughs> um, put it on your bingo card. Number of times Christy mentioned uh, Donald Trump tonight. Uh, you know, Ramaswamy has been really, really wooing voters and he's 
you know, very dynamic and interesting speaker, and people are loving what, what he has to say. Uh, so I imagine that he might really shine tonight. This might be his um, place. I'd be, I don't plan on uh, necessarily watching it, but I would, be, I would be interested to see how Ron DeSantis performs in a debate. I don't think many people have seen DeSantis in that environment before, so it would be interesting to see how he, uh, how he handles it. Yeah, I watched very closely the Florida debates when he had with Charlie Crist, and he's a he's a very well. Of course, that's a one on one and not a one on eight or whatever uh, situation, so it can be a little bit different. But I think he's a very good debater. I've been saying this, and I want to get your your thoughts on this. That I feel like Ron, or excuse me, uh, Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy are essentially running as a package team here. There is only one person that neither one of them will criticize, and that's each other. Uh, DeSantis uh, is the target of Trump every day and has been for six months. Uh, DeSantis is the number one target of Vivek Ramaswamy. I feel like uh, that there's a package deal going on here, that Vivek Ramaswamy takes DeSantis out completely uh, and then uh, is rewarded either with a VP position or Secretary of the Treasury or something of that nature, and then in 2028 he gets Donald Trump's endorsement he is the only guy in the in this field that Trump has not criticized, despite his meteoric climb in the polls. Yeah, I noticed that as well, and a lot of people have said that uh, uh, very astutely. And he, you know, he could be VP role, chief of staff. I've heard people say I could kind of see a Vivek Ramaswamy chief of staff, but uh, that uh, Vivek's very cautious, and he he won't uh, he won't criticize Trump. Um, that could also be strategy because. You know, Trump is the leader right now, and, and, and Americans are watching what's what's uh, what's happening to him uh, through the through the weaponized judicial system, uh, and uh, they they certainly have something going on. Yeah, they they very they very well do. It it it's it's kind of interesting to see how, like I said, they will attack others but not one another, which kind of makes it seem like they might be in unison. Now let's talk about what's happening tonight. So he's going to go on with with Tucker and and tell me Tucker's legal contractual situation as you understand it, Chadwick, because um, again, as soon as he started doing his very first, which got what some seventy or eighty million views on Twitter, his first uh, Tucker on Twitter show, uh, um, Fox sent a cease and desist this letter saying this is a violation of your non-compete we still have you under contract for two years stop obviously he's not stopping where does all that stand yeah it's so interesting in that in that season assist they said they used the phrase uh rendering services he's in violation of his contract for rendering services which uh i'm not a lawyer but i believe that would mean getting paid uh tucker is not getting paid by twitter he's not making any money on twitter so i don't know if that legally constitutes rendering services what uh, I understand, and and I I haven't seen his contracts, but from what I understand is that they had Fox had failed to include Twitter in their non compete, so perhaps Tucker could simply argue, hey, everyone else on Fox who's a Fox employee, which Tucker still is, uh, has a Twitter account. They're allowed to go on Twitter and post their political opinions about what's happening in the day and in other content. So that's all I'm doing. Uh, all I know is that uh, that Fox appears to be getting increased, increasingly aggressive toward Tucker and his uh, producing partner, Justin Wells. Uh, and uh, uh, from what I hear from people in Tucker world is they're saying, leave us alone. We've been loyal Fox employees for 15 years. We've done nothing wrong. Uh, we're not going to bite unless you force us to. And uh, I believe their words were, uh, if you want to start a war with us, it's going to be very ugly. And uh, we can guarantee that. So uh, it's certainly getting very, very tense. And this, tar- this Trump interview tonight is, is doing nothing to uh, alleviate that. 
You describe, we're talking to Chadwick Moore. He, Chadwick has uh, been a longtime guest, a very regular guest on Tucker Carlson tonight uh, during that, what, seven, eight-year run, whatever it was, in which he set records for cable ratings. Uh, Chadwick is the author of a new biography on Ch- Tucker called Tucker. Um, you, you, you said he likes to poke the bear. It's just in his personality. What else did you learn about him? What made him so appealing? He, he went from, you know, bow-tie nerd guy, kind of, uh, you know, earlier in his career, to being the most influential voice of the conservative movement for those eight years um how do you how do you explain that rise and how did he become so powerful well he's you know the book is really you know it's 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 a pretty emotional book because it it takes you on a journey of this man who had a very unconventional uh childhood uh you know some would say very sort of rough and tragic but he doesn't see it that way and he's always been kind of uh, a misfit at his heart and, and an outcast and kind of, and, and probably, you know, I guess, maybe still that today in a different context. Uh, and you know, what I really wanted to do with this book was, you know, paint, paint a three-dimensional portrait of a man who's become so uh, both, both hated and beloved in our culture and is so extremely polarizing and, and such a, uh, you know, probably one of the most influential voices in politics. Uh, to, to you know, find out who he really is, what he's like, where he comes from. And he's a fascinating, really interesting guy. And he's someone, what I discovered in writing this, uh, and how I think he comes off certainly on the pages, he's somebody who's not really interested in politics per se. He's not interested in point scoring, Republican, Democrat. He's far more interested in these bigger questions of morality, family, spirituality, beauty, which he sees as uh, integral to politics. And that's, certainly the guy that I, I found him to be, and I think it makes him really, really, really interesting and well-rounded. Um, and, uh, and he's uh, you know, a fascinating guy. That, that uh, I don't think there's many cable news hosts that anyone would want to read a biography about. There's certainly none that I would really want to write a book about. But Tucker has been an exception in many cases, and particularly with that connection you mentioned that he had with his audience and, and, and how he's able to communicate so well with them. Yeah, he he really does. Like I said, I I I think uh, it's it's remarkable how many people came and gravitated toward him, and and I think it's also remarkable, Chadwick. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this that he is willing to alienate a lot of people who like him over the Ukraine situation. Um, he just did uh, an hour with Colonel Douglas McGregor telling us why, in his words, I'm looking at it right now, uh, why the Ukraine war must end now. He did commentary saying everything, and he did this while he was still on Fox, too. Everything that you have been told about the Ukraine war is a lie. He's willing to die on that hill, it appears. Um, and there are a lot of people who are saying, I love Tucker because of X, Y, and Z, but this is too much and this is going too far. I cannot support him uh, if he's going to continue to take this track. How do you read that? I think I read it as him, he, Tucker being Tucker. I think he he was you know always in, on mainstream media uh, for his years at Fox, the only person who would take a counter-narrative on these sacredly held beliefs and which, you know, which many people on both sides, Republican and Democrat, might hold true. But he's someone who, Ukraine's not the only one, that, the only issue that he would just ask questions that no one else is asking and, and provide different perspectives. It's, you know, it's, I, I see a lot of, um, as you mentioned, a lot of people who love Tucker and say, I just really disagree with them on this issue. I hate it. Um, that's fine. That's great. And I think that's sort of the world that Tucker wants to live in. Meanwhile, you have the establishment, the elite, the uniparty, the bosses of corporate media, whatever you want, however you want to refer to them, saying, no, we cannot have this singular alternative perspective on our airways. And as a part of the official national discourse, get rid of him, silence him. 
I think that's a big divide between the people who rule us and those who are um, everyday average normal Americans who appreciate debate and a difference of opinion. And I think even those who are really against his opinion on Ukraine or, or what he thinks of it, I think they should at least be happy if someone's out there asking questions. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we're talking to Chadwick Moore. Chadwick, so you used the word debate in your answer just now, so that brings us back to tonight. What will your eyes be on, the debate stage or Twitter, watching Tucker and President Trump? Well, I will be watching Tucker and Trump. Uh, you know, I know, I guess that's part of my job. I should watch the debate, but, you know, I, I was banned from Fox after watch, after writing this book. I was a regular on other shows, not just Tucker's. So personally, I'm, you know, I'm going to stick to my convictions and not watch Fox, which I haven't done since um, April 21st, uh, 2023, when this show was taken off the air. Uh, so I'm not going to be watching this. I would say that I'll get the headlines the next day, but I think Trump's, the Trump coverage is going to suck all the life out of that. Yeah, I think there were, I think you will too. The good news is, of course, is that, uh, the tr- Trump Twitter interview with, uh, with Tucker will be there forever. So you can do both or I will do Absolutely. both. I'm going to watch the debate and then watch the, uh, the conversation with President Trump after the fact. But it is, uh, it is quite a remarkable and unprecedented, dare I say, um, start to a, to a debate season and a primary, uh, primary campaign season for a debate to not have the number one candidate on in the polls. And in fact, he's going to be on another space competing against it for attention. It's quite remarkable. Chadwick Moore, author of the book, Tucker. Uh, Chadwick, thanks. Congratulations on the book, and thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Oh, thanks, man. It was a pleasure. You got it. Thank you, Chadwick. That's Chadwick Moore. We'll have him back on again. He's a great interview. It's 1026. We'll take time out here. We'll come back. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 10.34 now on Always Right Radio. Thanks to Chadwick Moore. Terrific preview of the debate tonight, such as it is without President Trump, and preview of Tucker's interview with President Trump tonight that's going to be on up against the debate. How about that? Uh, so great conversation there. If you missed it or any part of it, you can always catch it at the uh, end of the day. Well, not at the end of the day, the end of the show, usually about an hour after showtime, 1 o'clock-ish. It'll be uploaded to the uh, podcast page, and you can uh, check it out there at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Time now to... Um Put a story to bed that kind of caught fire late last week. It extended a little bit uh, uh, into this week. Yesterday, we talked to Lizzie Marbach. She's a, a former communications director now at Ohio Right to Life, which is uh, very in a very important fight right now, along with all of us who are pro-life, to stop the uh, abortion on demand amendment from passing in November. But Lizzie was also at the center of a controversy involving a Twitter spat or a, a disagreement or whatever you want to call it with uh, Ohio Congressman Max Miller. He represents Ohio's 7th Congressional District. He's been doing a terrific job, but he had a bad week last week, and he's been trying to uh, uh, atone for that and to uh, and to put this whole thing to bed, and I'm here to help him do that. Congressman Miller, good to have you back on our program. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bob. And, and first and foremost, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and as you said, put this to bed. And, and you know, usually I, I, you know, I'd like to give a little bit lengthier of, a, of an opener if you'll allow me to do please. that real quick. Yes, sir. And, By all means. And, and, and please, Bob, ask me any questions that you would like regarding this. But look, first and foremost, I want to acknowledge that, that I shouldn't have tweeted what I did. Um, and I'm all about accountability. I, I realize that Lizzie was merely making a statement of her faith, a right that is guaranteed to all of us within this country. And that is a right that I hold incredibly sacred. I support Lizzie's right to say what she said, to proclaim what she believes, 
and to share her beliefs with others. That is what this country is about. So again, I realize and very self-aware that I should not have reacted the way that I did. But Bob, in that moment, when I first read Lizzie's tweet, my initial reaction was that, look, her words were meant to highlight distinctions amongst religions and cultures. You know, I, I really just believe deeply in our multi-faith communities, and I've benefited from our multi-faith history and a culture that we all enjoy. And we know there's been a surprising rise in anti-Semitism in recent years, and we also know that hatred is out there when it comes to all forms of religious faith, not just Christianity or Judaism or anything, and it's just not anti-Semitism and hatred for Jews. We Look, recently we just marked, I believe, the 11th anniversary of the massacre of the Sikhs at their temple in Wisconsin. So I I have a very heightened sensitivity about anti-Semitism and hatred based on religious beliefs, but I want to make something abundantly clear to everyone who's listening. Lizzie did not express any of that. She did not mean to express any of that. But in that moment, I was just too sensitive. And I am not afraid to bring that up and apologize for it. And I read her words as dividing people on religious grounds. And I immensely regret that I read her words that way. It's not what she meant. I regret the way that I acted and what I did sincerely. And what I was trying to do, Bob, I meant to tweet a point about how we should not be using religion to divide. I failed to make that point, and I failed miserably. And I tweeted and conveyed a message I never intended. I apologize to Lizzie and to everyone who read what I had posted. And I'm grateful to Lizzie for having the grace to accept my apology. But but here's what I will say, Bob, is that I don't run from things. I campaigned on not running from things and holding people accountable in myself. And that is exactly what I'm doing. I am not running from this. I'm incredibly remorseful. And I'm just grateful that, that Lizzie accepted my apology and a lot of other individuals within our community. Well, Max, that's a very gracious statement. And um, as I said to you pr- prior to this, um, I I completely agree with your decision to leave the tweet up. Almost the first thing anybody does whenever they get some blowback for something that they use on social media, which I despise for a variety of reasons, but um, the first thing they do is delete it and hope that it goes away. You left it up there, and so not so that it was. In, it's kind of weird to say, but but in a, in a, in a different way of making it go away by owning it by saying, here it is, this is what I said, and here's how I feel about it, and this is my great regret, and this is where my apology comes in. And I think that's the right thing to do. Rather than pretending it never happened, acknowledging it happened, acknowledging what was wrong with it, the regret you have for it, uh, and, and, and certainly the, the atonement. And I, and I don't think anybody could say you have done anything other than been completely forthright in your, in your apology. I know you gave one to Chris Long and the Ohio Christian Alliance, which was very, very upset by what you had written. Uh, you know, allegations of bigotry for stating these things. And not only did Lizzie forgive you, I had her on the air yesterday, I asked her if she could understand where you came from, that, that you know, it is possible for someone who is Jewish to see somebody claiming that the only way to go to salvation is through Jesus, and that is not something the Jews believe in based on, on Judaism, uh, that you can really say, really? You know, you, I'm not going to be saved because I don't believe in Jesus. I, I take an offense to that. And she said she could. She understood why you read it the way you did. Obviously, it was not her intention, which you just made very, very clear, but she even understood, and so did I. The minute I read it, I was like, this isn't good what he said but i understand what he took that as he just i think misinterpreted it and i think i think that's the best way to to describe the situation 
Bob, I, I completely agree with you. And you know what I'm sick of, and I see it in Congress all the time, that, look, we are all human. We are going to make mistakes. But I'm not going to run from it. I'm not running from this. I'm not going to hide from this. And I'm going to take the licks for it because I've always believed that elected officials should be held accountable. And you know what? I am. I am an elected official. I am holding myself accountable. And I don't like being you know, the subject of, of any of this. But that to be said, it is the right thing to do. I am sick of people running from their issues. And that's not what leaders do. Leaders you know, take the credit when they deserve it. And they should also take the fall when they make an error. And I am taking the fall. And I deserve, you know, what has come my way, but incredibly remorseful. But that is the type of person who I am, and that's the type of person who I will continue to be in this capacity, serving the 7th District incredibly proudly. And I believe that we're doing a heck of a job for everybody. I agree. And I agree that you deserve everything that came your way as a result of this. But I also think you deserve credit for your willingness to own it, to atone for it, to apologize for it. There's no better way. To, and you're right. Everybody makes mistakes, some of them more public than others. And people deserve when they handle things the right way to get credit for that, which is uh, which is something that I think you've heard. And in, in, in some ways, Max, uh, excuse me, I, the informality congressman, um, in some ways, it, it, it actually may it may make you make you more relatable to a lot of the constituents who rely upon you to make good decisions on their behalf as a member of, of Congress. Um, you're relatable because, you know what, we, nobody, sometimes politicians kind of come off with that, that polished uh, style that, you know, everything is, is every word is char- carefully chosen and scripted, and all you did was prove you're a human being. You made a mistake, and now how do I deal with that? And, and I think that makes you more relatable, I think, to a lot of people who can really understand what happened in this situation. Look, I mean, when it comes down to it, Bob, I come from the Trump era, right? And the Trump era can go from an unfiltered but hopefully pragmatic in their assessment. And I just want to be very emphatic about something when it comes to this district. I see no differences amongst the people who we represent and the honor that it is bestowed upon our shoulders to represent 800,000 people within our district. The Constitution, the way that I see it, guarantees all of us the right to practice our religions and to say what we believe and to be free from persecution. I believe that I've benefited from that and that every American has benefited from that. And that's a right that I hold sacred. I believe it is the one of the most fundamental foundations that we have in our country. We have the freedom of religion, and because of that, we have a multi-faith country. And Northeast Ohio is no different than anywhere else in America, Bob, when it comes down to it. Our broad faith community that we have that goes from Cuyahoga County all the way to Holmes County literally includes people who practice a variety of religions or even, Bob, you know, or not at all. And people believe multiple things. And I want to make something clear. That is not a bad thing. That is a very, very good thing. We live and we work together in peace within this country. Why? Because we respect the right. We all have to believe what we want. And my job as a representative of the 7th District, my job, Bob, is to represent people without regard for what they believe. And that is exactly what I have been doing. And I will always continue to do that and always acknowledge when I make a mistake or an error, and I will always face it head on because I am sick of cowards in Congress who make mistakes and they run from the issues that they're afraid to address and delete their tweets or comments. That's not me, and that will never be me, and I will continue to move forward in that fashion. 
We're talking to Congressman Max Miller, uh, trying to put uh, a lid on this uh, this situation involving Lizzie Marbach. She forgave him. She understood exactly what he was saying and why he said it and does not hold that against him. And I hope everybody understands that it's time to move on now. Uh, because, Max, you said this, uh, and I said it to you off the air, and I said it about you when you were not around, <clears throat> that I think you've been doing a phenomenal job. You've been on point on your votes. You've been on point on your policy statements and th- things you support. Uh, I think everybody who voted for you in the 7th District is happy that they did. So I hope this does not, and in fact, I'm going to do my best to make sure this does not derail uh, that that particular part of the story, <clears throat> that the mission does continue and that you continue to do uh, the, jo- the great job that you have been doing. And with that, I want to I want to uh, jump into some issues now, if I can, and, and obviously the most important one right now for me, uh, there's two important ones, and that is one, the intentional railroading of Donald Trump uh, by trying to fraudulently indict him on four different cases and to put him into prison so that he doesn't get into the White House. But number two is the man that's cur- currently in the White House who has been uh, exploiting it for financial gain for himself and his family, according to what we have learned from a number of individuals going back to his time as vice president so let me ask you uh about about the the latter first because i know you tweeted something this morning about joe biden uh since the walls are starting to close in on him and it is becoming more and more clear that we need need new leadership in the white house you think that maybe that's why suddenly we're seeing all of the headlines about covid making a return masks and shots need to start being uh, the topic of conversation again Absolutely. I mean, we have to look at what the Democrats did in the last election in 2020. And what did they do? We all know that this is factual evidence that the Democrats cannot refute. And if they do, they're lying to the American people. We had secretaries of state unilaterally change the laws in Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania 48 hours before the election under the public health emergency guise of covid. This we already know their game plan here. We already know a page out of their playbook. How are we going to fight back? Strong Americans know that COVID, yes, while it was serious, this country overreacted. We took it incredibly seriously. Our state was shut down. And look at the ramifications of that. And that's why states' rights are so important that we have to have within our own each and individual state. And I fundamentally believe that everything that is going on, President Trump will see this through. And the two-tier justice system that we've seen about Jim Jordan and Jamie Comer exposing for their oversight investigations, We know that Joe Biden is crooked. We know that Joe Biden has committed crimes. The frustrating part for me as a legislator and the frustrating part for our constituents is for as much as we want these people to be held accountable, we also know and understand that the president of the United States oversees his cabinet, has full executive control of the Department of Justice, and the most thing that we can do in Congress besides expose everything that's going on to the American people so they can make an educated decision at election time, but we can't throw them in prison. As much as a lot of us would like to with that frustration, it's not legally possible, unfortunately. So what do we need to do? We need to continue to set up this Congress to elect a Republican president in 2024, which I believe should and will be President Donald J. Trump, and that we will get our country back on track with secure borders, strong supply chain, no labor shortage, no foreign wars, and energy independence, and that's what this country is craving and every American with inside of it. We'll come back to President Trump in a second. Final thought on Biden right now, and I agree with you. This is exactly what they are doing. Um, they have decided that their strongest um, uh, argument for re-election for Biden-Harris is the economy. That's why they said Bidenomics, Bidenomics. For the last two months, it's all they've said. That's Bidenomics. That's how it works. 
70-some percent of the American people think that the economy has gotten worse under Joe Biden. Uh, so this is not going to be the appropriate track for them. Um, what do you think the American people are going to do, and what do you think the Democrats are going to do in response? They have taken the number one argument they have for re-election and said, we reject that. He can't argue success on foreign policy. He can't argue success on the southern border. He can't argue success about crime rates or about any uh, about inflation or about anything else. In other words, can they argue for any reason whatsoever to keep Joe Biden at the top of that ticket, or do they need to let him roll off uh, into the sunset in a wheelchair? No, I would like to see Joe Biden stay on the ticket, and I'll tell you why. And there's been a lot of talks of impeachment in Congress, and I believe that we are looking for every angle and avenue in order to do that. But here's what I would like to say. There is no person on the Democrat side that I would want to see as our opponent than Joe Biden. Because for everything that you just laid out, right? So if we move to impeach him, and do not get me wrong, this man deserves to be impeached for Afghanistan, for the southern border, for 70,000 Americans dying of fentanyl overdose every single year within this country because of that man's policies. But make no mistake, when it comes down to it, President Trump is going to focus on the issues and the right message of what he did in the four years when he was the best president of the United States, and he is going to make Joe Biden look like literally a lost soul in the middle of a park walking around because that's what he is. He looks like that on his own. (laughs) Well, you know, it's really sad. You know, Bob, a few days ago, I know that you saw this when he was walking into his presidential limo and a reporter asked him, you know, what are you going to do for the Americans in Maui? Right. Over 100 of them have perished and have died because of the wildfires down there. And President Biden looked at that reporter. He laughed and he said, no comment. I know and I fundamentally believe that Joe Biden didn't even understand what that reporter asked him. That's the saddest part about this all. And I'm not trying to come to his defense. I think that he has some type of dementia, that he cannot register everything properly in order to give an an, an articulate response, and he just waved it off. So fundamentally, I do want Joe Biden. He can continue to campaign on the gaslighting lies of a great economy. And let's sum, sum no, this you, up No, you quick. do. You do and I do for that reason. But they can't. That, that's kind of the, the essence of my question, if I may, and I apologize for the interruption. They oh, no, have to good. see everything you just described as being reality. You're 100% right, and that's why we want to run against him. They can't put him back up there again, can they? And, and what do you think they will do if they don't? Knowing the little that I know, uh, President Biden, and I've only met the gentleman twice, and I know a lot of people who work with him and actually Democrat colleagues who have spent time with him. He uh, is an angry man. And from what I've been told, I've been told that Democrats have asked him to step down to not run for reelection. And he has told them tough. And I don't know how the Democrat machine, unless you get a superstar of a candidate, which I don't think they have any, but they think a superstar of a candidate is Governor Gavin Newsom. Biden isn't going to give it up. He's not. He is. He has run for president how many times, Bob? Four, five, and now he finally has the seat. And unfortunately, what do we know about Democrats? As soon as they get power, they try to keep it for as long as possible, and then they abuse the power that they're given. Unfortunately, that is what this man is doing, and I actually believe that he is holding the Democrat Party in hostage because he has not gotten out of the race yet. Uh, and, and I believe he is still going to be the nominee. And I believe that President Trump is going to be the nominee. Okay. And I believe that Joe Biden is going to lose. Let me get to President Trump now uh, as we wrap this up. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned 
um, about electability in the general if they are successful in railroading him to guilty verdicts in any or all of these 100 collective charges against him. And the reason why it should be obvious, we're talking about liberal, uh, a massive liberal jury, uh, uh, jury pool in Manhattan, a massively liberal jury pool in Washington, D.C. for two of these, and Fulton County, Georgia is 75% Biden in 2020 as well. So it's going to be a tainted left-wing jury pool with tainted left-wing prosecutors and probably tainted left-wing judges. There's a real chance he gets convicted on one or more felony accounts, even though we know they're bogus. There's a chance that they get tainted convictions. Millions of Americans, according to surveys, have said no matter who it is, Donald Trump or anybody else, that they won't vote for a convicted felon. How do you how do you propose to to get around that to get him in in, into a successful uh, general election strategy? So the way that I break this down for me and when I talk to constituents and, you know, colleagues that are on other side of the aisle, some that are on ours who, you know, don't like President Trump and Democrats or independents who are very just unsure of how they should vote and supporting him because how the last three years have gone within our country or two and a half, I should say. And this is how I break it down. If you're a small business owner or a large business owner out there and you have two employees, right, you have a gentleman who comes in every day. But he doesn't know where he is, but he sits down at his computer and he thinks a right click on the mouse is a left click on the mouse. And he has no idea where he is. And the production is zero. Yet you as the employer are paying this person, let's say, $80,000 a year. But then you have another colleague to his left. Right. And this guy, he's a little rough around the edges. You know, you walk into work and you're like, oh, man, there's Donald. But what does Donald do? What does he deliver on? He delivers on a secure border. No foreign wars a vibrant economy, and energy independence within our country, and to fix our labor shortage. That is the individual that you want. And as a business owner, and I know that there are many of them out there who are listening, that is the argument in my opinion. You know, unfortunately, this is just my opinion, but over the last couple of decades, have presidents been role models for our children? No, and that is not their job. Our job as parents of kids We are our kids' role models. We are the ones who set them up for success. It is not incumbent upon the President of the United States to be the ultimate individual of morality. No, we are hiring this person for a job to make sure that we are safe within this country and that we are successful and still the largest superpower. And at the end of the day, what I'd like to see through this when President Donald J. Trump gets reelected is that we get energy independence booming and that we put the Chinese Communist Party in a box so that they are buying oil and natural gas from us, and that is how we will reclaim domination in the world order. And these are things that he can do, but that's how I break it down. You have two employees. One is ineffective collecting a paycheck, and the other one is the best salesman that you've ever had securing your company. Well, I'm going to go for the guy who's rough around the edges. We're hiring a person for a job. We're not hiring him to be the role model and to be responsible for our children. We are hiring him for a job. That is how I break it down. I like it. It's a great metaphor. It's a great analogy. However, you want to describe that, it, it, that's a really, really great way to look at it. And that's going to have to be, you know, the salesmanship part of this. People need to really, truly understand. But uh, sadly, there are a lot of well, sadly, a lot of lot of undecided uh, uh, centrist voters, uh, independent voters, who have said this is something that might be a deal breaker for them, and that is something that I hope uh, they will take into consideration before they make any decisions. Should we get to that point, Max Miller, uh, Ohio Congressman from uh, District Number Seven, thank you from, so much for your class and your dignity and dealing with your situation and thank you for the great work you continue to do for the people of the 7th district 
Absolutely. God bless you, Bob. And thank you for the opportunity. And once again, I will always stand strong and continue to fight. And I will not run from things, whether they are awesome or whether they are bad or horrific. But just thank you so much. And I look forward to being on again in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. That's Congressman Max Miller on AM 1420, The Answer. I meant it. Uh, it's classy, and it's dig- it's with dignity and humility as he accepted his, uh, you know, the repercussions for his mistake. Uh, but I believe his apology is not to be half-hearted and self-serving like so many others. I believe it's sincere and heartfelt, and uh, and that's why I support uh, uh, you know putting this thing to bed and getting on with the business of the people. Ten fifty-six. We'll be back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway. A child called me up just the other day. He said, Dad, I need some crack. Can you help me today? And I had lots of cash with bills to pay. He said, don't worry, Dad, I'll find another way. He was smoking for I knew it and away he flew. Saying, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And hunters in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll be good and high by then, Dad. Yeah, I'll be good and high by then. Picking through rugs, um, smoking anything that re- even remotely resembled crack cocaine. I'm very proud of my son. My son came around just the other day. He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid. Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay. Will anyone know? He said, no, no way. And as he walked away, he looked kind of dim and said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm going to be like him. He's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Ukrainian bribes were going to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll put aside your 10%, Dad. I'll always have your 10%. I know how to game the system. Come on. Come on. Well, he came from Kiev just the other day. 
And a smile so big I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you How's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said Great big guy, but what I really need, Dad Is to borrow the car keys You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Classified papers all over the room When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'm getting good and high again, Dad I'm getting good and high again He pointed out the reason why he regrets it Is he didn't anticipate that that folks like Giuliani Would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father That's what they are, they're flat bugs Come on this guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, you owe some cash, I want my cut today. He said, calm down, Dad, you know it's on the way. But my laptop is gone and now it's on you. And now we're both really screwed, Dad. And now we're both gonna be screwed. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me My boy was dumb as me And there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon All of our crimes were coming out real soon When's it all end, son? I don't know when But we're gonna end up in the pen, Dad We're both gonna be in the pen I am absolutely certain 100% certain that at the end of the investigation that I will be clear of any wrongdoing. God save the queen, man. Yeah, it went uh, it went mega viral. It has received millions of views across social media, and you can download it to your phone right now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. I felt like I needed to play that as we bring Jack Windsor into the program uh, because uh, Jack and I are going to talk about drugs. And when you think of drugs, who else do you think of but Hunter Biden? Obviously, Jack Windsor, the uh, founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, joining us now along with his throng of fans who are... Yeah, let him in. Let everybody in. Jack doesn't go anywhere without his crowd. Hey, Jack, how are you, my man? Hey, Bob. I'm super fantastic. Thanks for uh, teeing our time up with that uh, music. It's fantastic. Sadly, fantastic. Well, I, I look at the Ohio Press Network, and I see this this big image uh, on one of the stories, and it looks like what I would think, it looks like a silhouette of a marijuana leaf over the state of Ohio. And I thought, what in the living hell? What does that mean? So at first I thought, well, it's drugs, so let's go to Hunter. And I will come back to the Ohio Press Network. Why is there a big marijuana leaf over the state of Ohio, Jack Windsor? Well, Ohio voters will decide on two statewide issues in November. We've been talking a lot about the first one, which is the radical amendment that would extend abortion to limitless for matters of health, red convenience, and it would also allow minors to transition and uh, get abortions without parental involvement. But now uh, there's a group that has gathered enough signatures that's pushing for the legalization of recreational marijuana uh, to be used in Ohio. And Secretary of State Frank LaRose certified the second round of signatures collected by the coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol, uh, giving it the required number to appear as a proposed constitutional amendment in the November general election. 
So that's just super. That's another phenomenal move that we have and another nice and easy way for the radical pro-pothead leftists to do the same thing that the pro-death cult uh, abortionists want, and that is use a simple 50% plus one vote majority to enshrine that into the Ohio Constitution. What could possibly go wrong? Jack, what is the uh, temperature of the pushback against this right now as you understand it? Well, I don't think that it's significant. There's a, a bipartisan bill uh, that is alive right now in the Ohio State House. So that to me signals that there are Republicans who are in favor of the legalization of marijuana to be used recreationally. And uh, this bill would allow that. Uh, it would allow an individual to have, I think, up to 12 plants and, and to use. Uh, and by the way, Bob, it would also add a 10 percent tax on the sale. And uh, I think that is a, a revenue stream that some statewide lawmakers or excuse me, state lawmakers are attracted to. I don't I don't believe unless there is a significant backlash uh, from a well monetized and messaged group. Uh, I don't think that this is going to fail. I think it will pass in November. <sighs> And, and has anybody bothered to even look at the statistics in other states where recreational weed has been legalized um, when it comes to the increase in incidence of OVI, which means operating a vehicle while intoxicated or impaired, and that can mean by drugs? I mean... You know, drunk driving accidents are already among the leading causes of death in every state. Drunk or high driving accidents uh, are far, far worse. I mean, Colorado in the in the eight to ten years, whatever it's been since they legalized weed, has seen just an extraordinary increase in the number of accidents because people who get high and drive have very, very little to fear because, as you know, Jack, you know, alcohol comes into and departs the system within, you know, 24 hours. With marijuana, you could have smoked two weeks ago and you're still going to blow or test rather high, or excuse me, not high, but you're going to test as having marijuana in your system in the moment of a traffic accident. So they don't fear being busted and they don't fear uh, repercussions because they can always say, no, I didn't smoke just now. I smoked, uh, I smoked, uh, you know, uh, three days ago. I smoked four days ago. That's the only thing you're going to find in my system. It is just so dangerous. And I cannot believe that people are not uh, more upset about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't either, Bob. I am probably, if you're since, you're giving your opinion there. I'll give you mine. Uh, I, I have always viewed marijuana as uh, as a gateway to other things, totally. and frankly, so is alcohol. And so I think that is the point that they're trying to leverage. Hey, alcohol is legal, so why wouldn't we make marijuana legal? And uh, you know, it just creates a I don't know clearer pathway. I think uh, for people to engage in things that uh, could certainly take them off track in life, and and to see. Uh, that not only to be uh, legalized, but to, to be enshrined in the state constitution is, is a bit unnerving. But, Bob, we talked about this. This was the matter with issue one and everyone uh, that is maybe somewhat conservative or considers themselves to be a Republican. who said, ah, you know, we, we need to leave leave this open so that people can uh, these grassroots grassroots movements can get things on on the ballot in front of Ohioans more easily. Well, here you go. Be careful what you wish for. This is one of those things. Did you just really say grassroots? 
grassroots. That was in, you, you like that? That was unintended, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but, but, Jack, I agree with you about the gateway part of this. And I get sick and tired of having this arguments with the pro-pothead crowd. And I'm sorry, I don't have any respect for them. I think if you're a pothead, I, I just have no respect for you. And, and, and if that costs me a friendship or two, I don't care. Um, because it is a gateway. Uh, the reality is nobody ever starts out with the first drug they use being heroin. They're, or nobody starts out with, I'm going to try cocaine. I'm going to hit that crack pipe. They start out smoking weed, and then they like the high, and then they want a little bit more, and then they start doing it on the regular, and then that high isn't enough for them anymore, and then they move on to something else and something else, and somebody else says, I don't have any weed, but I have this. Try this, and away we go. It is indeed uh, a, a very, very danger to society. It is a very d- dangerous dangerous um, situation, like I said, for drivers who are, you know, if it didn't impact other people too, Jack, I might not be as adamant about it as I am. Um, but it does. It impacts other people, like I said, particularly when it comes to the roadways and you have people who are token and driving and it's perfectly legal and they're they're getting into accidents and they're taking the lives of other people. Uh, I don't support it when it comes to alcohol and I don't support it when it comes to to um, to weed, but at least when it comes to alcohol, we can find out if somebody was impaired uh, very, very easily at the time of their driving. And with marijuana, you cannot. So um we would be the, according to your article, the 24th state to legalize yep. recreational marijuana use. And I'm blown away, especially at a time when fentanyl is killing so many people that we would have such a lax attitude toward drugs. So, um, yeah. And just, you know, the, the unnerving part, Bob, there is a, a recent report uh, by 24 seven Wall Street indicating that 1.9 million people in Ohio age 12 end up have reportedly used marijuana in the last year, or 19.6% of the 12 and older population. Uh, that's ninth, That's the 19th highest usage rate among states. And, uh, and it's illegal. That's look, why it's illegal. <laughs> that, well, and, and that's the other issue, right? Like, if people are going to get offended because you say that it's a gateway drug, okay, well, it's an illegal drug right now, and people are using it illegally. Um but, you know, we don't apply that same logic, right, to to other issues that we have in our culture with other things that we don't want people carrying and using. Um, yeah, great point. Yeah, it, it's it, it's scary. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that you're going to hear a lot from proponents of this is, uh, hey, this is democracy, man. This is what the people want, man. This is this is where we are at. And, um, you know, we can have a deep discussion about that probably some other time about why we live in a constitutional representative republic uh, so that we don't allow the mob to almost instantly uh, change things and put us in situations that uh, the unintended consequences are going to kill us down the road. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for reminding people what kind of government we have. We do not have a direct democracy where the people vote on everything that is allowed and not allowed. We have a representative republic where we elect people to go to well, Washington federally and Columbus here in the state of Ohio to make these decisions for us. That's how the laws get changed. That's how the laws get made. And again, I know I'm repeating myself from when we had the issue one debate, but this is why it's called the Ohio Revised Code. It is revised constantly. Right. Laws are repealed. Laws are amended. Laws are changed. Laws are added, uh, but the Constitution is forever. 
And this is the kind of thing that needs to be decided at the Ohio Revised Code level. The fact that, and I'm going to continue to rant and rave at those who sat on the sidelines instead of fighting to pass issue one, uh, where we could have strengthened the Constitution to 60% threshold. Uh, they, I don't want to be dramatic and say they're going to blood on their hands, but they are going to bear the responsibility for so many of these things. Abortion on demand, recreational weed, uh, attacking and ending qualified immunity for first responders, which is only going to further weaken the numbers of police forces across our state, Jack. I mean, so many of these things are going to get so much worse because people didn't step up when they should have. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, um, and we could have a discussion on this another time, too. Uh, the group that is pushing to end qualified immunity, uh, they got the kibosh from Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who he, he's the first line of defense. He looks at uh, consti- proposed constitutional amendments by a ballot initiative and and determines, uh, is the language uh, accurate or does it omit or misstate things? And he determined that the folks who are trying to put the qualified immunity issue before voters, uh, that the language they used uh, contained misstatements and omissions. And so uh, that effort has been ended for now, but that's their fifth attempt. One thing I want to put in your mind and your listeners' mind is um, qualified immunity is an interesting concept. And I wonder if the left and the people who support this would be in favor of it if instead of police officers out front being promoted uh, as, you know, the bad guy would be prosecutors. What if we ended qualified immunity for prosecutors, particularly those appointed by George Soros, not appointed, but uh, funded by George Soros? Right. Uh, would they be marching to the same tune? I think that's an interesting conversation to have as this bubbles to the surface inevitably again down the road. Completely agree. Jack, let's move on because we have limited time. Let's move on to another one. Um, Virtually everyone is watching and waiting as they continue to now push for a return to the height of the pandemic pandemic, uh, list of restrictions, including masking up in public spaces, uh, masking in schools, and yes, getting another shot. This time it's supposed to be just an annual COVID shot you should do every fall, they're saying. That's what Joe Biden is saying with respect to it being like the flu, you know, just a general overall uh, protection. But also they're saying there is a sub-variant now that they're very, very concerned about so they're pushing more shots and more mask mandates do you see this as being a more a matter of profit profiteering for the pharmaceutical companies or is it the fact that hmm, we're in the beginning stages now of a new primary election cycle i think it's both right and i think um sometimes the tail wags the dog and uh sometimes people are grifters and opportunists and that's probably what you're going to have you're going to have People who want to leverage whatever they can leverage to create a favorable outcome for them in an election. And certainly drug companies want to make more money. The shame of it all, Bob, is, and I mentioned this yesterday, we reported three years ago and we were right. Masks don't work. We have industrial hygienists who are saying that's not how you eliminate the toxin. That's not how you defend yourself against this virus. And by the way, even if you have an N95 mask, if you staple it to a board, it's only about 30 percent effective. You're not going to staple it to your face. And by the way, the unintended consequence of wearing that mask, there are serious unintended consequences. They're health consequences and they're negative. But nobody wants to write about that. And then, of course, we have a whole host of people who are talking about vaccines and how they have caused 
significant problems, particularly in younger Americans, uh, but nobody wants to write about that either. And so we're in this really weird space again where the mainstream media is going to beat the drum of whatever Joe Biden and the progressives talk about. And uh, Americans are going to have to really hunker down and figure out what the truth is and and stand in it uh, because they're going to get a tremendous amount of political and peer pressure in the months ahead. I'm picturing a return to the daily Mike DeWine, Amy Acton shows, which was uh, beneficial for nobody, I think, in Ohio except you. (laughs) because it's how you burst onto the political media scene as being a tremendous, fearless, intrepid reporter asking questions of Mike DeWine that no one else would touch. And, of course, because of that, you created a powerful enemy there in the current governor. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, Jack, I mean, I I feel feel like this is going to be the next step, is they're going to start pushing these things back on people again. It's why it was so Mm -hmm. important for us to pass in the Ohio General Assembly some legislation that that, that outlawed the things they did to us during COVID, to, to outlaw it going forward. We did not get that done with our super majority of Republicans. Uh, Do you think that's where we're headed again? And do you think the people will respond any differently than they did the first time around? Well, I think that there are people who are just not going to have an appetite for masking. There are people who are just going to go, you know what, we did it before, we're going to go along and get along. I don't agree with it. But um, but I think there is a whole host of there's a whole group of people who look at this and go, no, 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 no. I will stand against it. I'll rise against it. But what I think you'll see in Ohio, and you kind of saw this with DeWine last time when he realized he was uh, losing the battle that people were. I mean, by the way, if DeWine had to uh, run a primary in 20 or 21, he would have got his rear end handed to him. I mean, he was really underwater because of his policy. So he stepped away from some of them. But what you saw was. He was promoting agencies and businesses and educational institutions to kind of pick up the bat that he put down. And that's what you're going to see here. And so I think what you have to buckle in for and what you have to be prepared for is you may not change things overnight, but you just have to find alternative places to go. And you have to stop uh, patronizing, you know, businesses that want to implement stupid policies. And so you're going to have to stand uh, behind what you believe again and fight the war. Jack Windsor laying it out for us. He's on top of Ohio political news and uh, and uh, legislation and so much more in Columbus like no one else. Make sure you subscribe to the Ohio Press Network. That is, oh, Jack, you know what, Jack? We've got something else to talk about. But I've got I've got to get to the news. You want to hang for a couple? Yeah, let's do it, man. We've got something else we have to tell people that uh, is coming next Tuesday. Uh, so let's do that. Let's keep Jack Windsor over for one more short segment right after this. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1136. I kept Jack Windsor around for just a couple more minutes imposing upon his morning. I apologize for that, Jack. This was unplanned. The extra part was unplanned because what was planned I forgot to do, which is in our first segment, talk about the return of the podcast it has been on hiatus for a bit because you went and did things that are a little bit less important than doing our podcast like you got married and uh, you know you took a little bit of time on a honeymoon you know you're doing all this other stuff that is so irrelevant i don't know where the hell your head is uh but we decided to relaunch the podcast and it starts next tuesday so it's glad glad to have you back in the game yeah i'm i'm glad to be back in the game bob and uh real quick let me tell you why uh I'm doing this. I can't speak for you, but I'm looking at the New York Times right now. Here are their headlines. 
Giuliani plans to surrender today in Georgia election case. To Trump, foreign business, business is scandalous unless, unless it's his own. Washington Post, what do they have? Democrats and Republicans divided on causes of extreme weather and uh, where the presidential candidates stand on democracy in January 6th. You know what they don't have in their headlines? What? New memos undercut Biden-Ukraine narrative Democrats sold during 2019 impeachment scandal. We've actually published the story with receipts that was produced by Just the News that shows Joe Biden's lying when he says that he was pushing the U.S. policy when he forced Victor Shokin to be fired. Um, you mean this was, hold on, that. you mean this was not U.S. policy? Over, I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev and... Uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they, had, they were walking out to the press conference and said, no, nah, I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. (laughs) Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Someone who was solid. So you're saying that wasn't U.S. policy? That was Joe Biden policy? Senior State Department officials actually sent a message to Shokin before he was fired, inviting he and his staff to Washington for a January 2016, uh, 2016 strategy session and sent him a personal note saying that they were impressed with his work. So, no, that wasn't the policy. What we also know is that Shokin was really rattling Burisma, which, by the way, that's the firm where Hunter Biden sat on the board, and uh, they were uncovering uh, corruption there. And Hunter Biden at the time was receiving a tremendous amount of pressure uh, to make sure that Shokin would call off the investigation. And uh, so, again, Joe Biden has lied, has egg on his face, but you won't read about it in the New York Times or the Washington Post, Bob. No, but you can read about it at the Ohio Press Network website. So we want to encourage everybody to do that. And that is, again, one of the, the types of things that we are going to be talking about uh, on the podcast. It's going to relaunch on Tuesday, probably 7 o'clock. We give you more information on tomorrow's show and on Friday's show and on Monday's show and on Tuesday's show when we get all of those things hammered out. But we're going to make sure that it is broadcast in a variety of spaces. It'll be on Facebook Live. It'll be on hopefully Rumble Live. We're working on that uh, and a couple of other places as well. So uh, we did a lot of really, what I think anyway, was very good work in getting a lot of great information out to people when we did our podcast, Jack. Uh, information and entertainment and insight and discussion and analysis with great interviews, and we're looking forward to bringing that back. The only thing we have to do now, Jack Windsor, is come up with a name. Yeah. We both decided we want to move on from talking smack with Bob and Jack. It's a mouthful when we tell people where to go to get our uh, uh, to uh, you know get our podcast. And so we're trying to figure this out. And, Jack, the more you and I chatted about it the other night, <clears throat> I thought to myself, we're never going to come up with something that we really like. We're going to have to ask everybody else to do that for us. So I'm going to spend the next couple of days on the radio asking for people to send me messages or to call me with what they think our podcast should be called. 
Um, it could it. be as simple and basic as what you originally said, just Bob and Jack, you know, like some other, you know, just two named hosts are. Okay, it's simple and basic, or it can be as, um, uh, you know, complex or as um, entertaining or nondescript as people want it to be, too. Uh, you know, I threw a couple of examples at you that I'll throw out a little bit later on. Uh, but we're looking for something fun, but also, you know, to to explain and and, and market and, and establish our brand to people in the podcast community what we're all about. So what do you think? Let the people decide? Let's do it, man. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, but it's not a pure democracy, Bob. It's still a representative republic. You and I will have the ultimate choice. Oh, hold on, hold on. That's that's worth more than a golf club. Can you dig it? Ooh, sorry. Didn't mean to blow your eardrums out there, but yeah. That was worthy more than a golf clap. That was can you dig it worthy. Yes, we will indeed take your uh, take your votes uh, on what you would like to see us do in our uh, in our house of representation, and we will make that decision when the time comes. So we're looking forward to that, Jack Windsor. I know you've been doing a lot of work. You're doing podcasting down in Columbus. You're doing radio down in Columbus in addition to running the uh, uh, the Ohio Press Network. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I just hope you're good. you've got the uh, you got the energy to 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 put all of that stuff into into motion. Amen. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, this is this is what this is what I was born to do, Bob. So we're going to do it, and uh, we're going to be effective. And we're going to have fun, and I look forward to what uh, what our listeners come up with. And it is really going to be, by the way, just so people know, if you haven't heard our podcast before, it's very Ohio-centric. Most of the time we're talking about things that are specific to Ohio, but not always. Uh, you know, we had Vivek Ramaswamy on, and uh, this is when he first actually made his announcement for his run. Now tonight he's going to be center debate stage next to Ron DeSantis because Donald Trump will not be there. So, I mean, we're talking to newsmakers, and we're, we're going to cover everything from politics to pop culture to entertainment to sports to society. It doesn't matter. We're going to hit all of it, and we want you to be a part of it. So that'll be Tuesday night. Seven o'clock. We'll give you more details on where to find it uh, between now and then. And we need your suggestions. Tell us what uh, what your suggestion is for a title for the Bob France Jack Windsor Jack Windsor Bob France podcast, which we will launch on uh, to relaunch on Tuesday. Jack, always appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks very much. By the way, which one are you watching tonight live? The debate or Tucker and Trump on Twitter? Yeah, tough call, man. I don't know. My my daughter has jujitsu. I might be watching her instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, then whatever it is, you're going to have to watch it on delay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm yeah, going to watch right. the debate, but I will watch the Tucker-Trump interview on delay, or later on after, since it will be posted yeah. on Twitter. Jack, thank you, my man. Great job, as always. We'll yeah. talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. All right, you got it. That's Jack Windsor, the uh, editor-in-chief and the founder of uh, the Ohio Press Network. Make sure you subscribe to that. If, you, if you're going to spend a couple of bucks each month on any kind of news, this would be a good way to do it. Sign up and log in and uh, become a member at and subscribe, a subscriber at the Ohio Press Network. Dot com, the Ohio Press Network dot com. All right, so uh, tomorrow on the program, we're going to have a little bit of reaction time. <clears throat> What I mean by that is we are going, I'm going to watch the debate, uh, and I'm going to take some notes, and I'm going to give you my thoughts. I may even live tweet it or live. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.